Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, we're coming to an end of our eschatological studies exegetically as we are going through Matthew 24 and 25. He is dealing with, we almost finished, but not quite, the last parable that he talks about in Matthew chapter 25 and verse all the way down from verse 14 through 30 he gives us this parable of the talent of the talents I should say so just so we've got a bird's eye view of this so Jesus is at he has come out of the temple He has told them, I will not see you again. You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Someday, Israel will stand at the foot of the hill and say, blessed is Christ who comes in the name of the Lord. What a great day that will be. And the start of the millennium will be on. It will be on. What a day that will be. What a wonderful, wonderful day. We as the church will have spent, we believe, seven years with Christ in heaven. We will enjoy His presence. We will enjoy the glorified bodies. And we will be anticipating our time on earth again as we rule and reign with the saints during Christ's millennial reign, when all things are set in perfection, where He rules with a rod of iron until the end when those that outwardly professing Christ but inwardly hated Him join with Satan and fight the final battle between God and His people and Satan and his cohorts. God wipes them off the face of the earth and He gives them a final judgment and throws all the unsaved into eternal hell. And then, it will be eternity. And it will be eternal bliss for all who claim the name of Jesus. And who are true believers. Now, what does that look like? What does bliss look like? Well, we get a glimpse of what bliss looks like in the talents. In the talents, we find that there is work to do, even in the eternal state, even in the millennial kingdom. There is work to do. I, you have been found good and faithful over these five talents, I'm going to double the talents. And you will be in eternally in divine joy. In other words, I love telling people this. I can't wait to heaven. I'm going to be able to work like I've never worked before. 
Ooh, who wants that? When you're working for God, there's nothing more joyful. Amen? There's nothing greater than that. So Jesus comes out of the temple. He says, blessed be those that... um, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then he goes directly into a whole bunch of information about uh, Jews and Gentiles and how God's going to deal with them. And then he comes to Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, he says, listen, listen, the kingdom of heaven is like, what is it like? It's like, first of all, ten virgins that come with lamps with oil, Right? Therefore, be on alert, it says in verse 24, for the day is coming. We talked. Uh, then he says in this parable, be prepared. The parable of the ten virgins anticipating the coming of the bridegroom for the bride, half of them were unprepared. They may have claimed to be part of that wedding ceremony, but they aren't. They're totally unprepared. I pray that everybody sitting here is prepared to meet the bridegroom, prepared to meet Jesus Christ. What does that mean to be prepared? It means to be saved. It means to be born again. It means to be, be trusting in Jesus Christ for all that you have and are. These people weren't prepared. Half of them weren't. And then the last parable, which is the one we are finishing up this evening or this morning, The parable there is to be busy. That's the imperative. So the imperative found in 24 is be alert, be ready. Then verse chapter 25, the virgins, it's be prepared. And now it's be busy. Be busy. Well done, thou good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. It's interesting how this parable all puts out the Bible's basically work for the night is coming. We need to be busy, not in just busyness work, but busy serving God in the work that He has given us. That is a huge issue. Busy serving God in the work that He has designed for you to do. Many people would say, well, I serve in the construction industry so I can faithfully give the gospel in the construction industry. Praise the Lord for that, but that's not what he's talking about here. We should be about giving the gospel everywhere and at all times. Amen. That is a should, but what he's saying is be diligent, be effective, be good, be faithful in the job that God has given you to do right now, whether that is in the mail industry, the logging industry, the fishing industry, the construction industry, the snow industry, whatever that may be, you're serving God there. Well, not really. I'm serving the government or I'm serving this boss or that boss. Folks, if you're a believer, you're serving God in that job. Work like you're serving God in that job. That's the whole point here. The outline we've already went through is there's money given to the slaves, verses 14 and 15. Three different slaves. Stewardship, the slaves exemplified is in verses 16 through 18. The master was pleased and rewards two of the servants 
Because they were good and they were faithful. What does that mean, they were good and faithful? Number one, they were good only because they truly, in a what it's trying to tell us, they were believers. You cannot be good apart from being a believer. Amen. Faithful is what God asks us to be. Faithful in the work that He's given us to do. And that's exactly what He did here. These, these servants, and He calls them servants, these servants went out and did the task they were told. They used what, what the Master had given them and exploded the business, if you will. And He was pleased. Today we're going to find the last one. We're going to finish this parable. The Master was very displeased and judges, and here's what's interesting. He judges a slave, another slave. All three of these were called slaves. One of them was not good, was not faithful, and God judges him because of it. That's where we are this morning. So, it's interesting, um, I'm going to go through this quickly. This, these parables are kingdom parables. Kingdom isn't just millennial kingdom. Because what he's talking about is, first of all, who is the master? You can help me out. Who's the master representing? Jesus Christ. Who are the slaves representing? His people. What is the, what is the um, talents representing? The gifts, or our works, or our monies that could do a, be a lot of things that it's illustrating. So let me ask you, when the kingdom of heaven when is this when, when does all of this take place when when are we able to use what god has given us and use it for his glory and his honor alone to make much of him and less of us amen like mr gaiman was saying when does that happen well it doesn't happen in heaven it can't happen in heaven it isn't happening in the millennial kingdom it's happening when? When does this happen? Well, he says, I'm going to go away for a while. Does he not? Here's the gifts. I'm going to go away for a while. And then when I come back, we'll see how you did. And interesting enough, he's going to, not only is he illustrating this by a parable in these verses 14 through 30, but he's literally going to talk about it theologically in the very next verse, verse 31. It starts about it. Here comes the judgment. Judgment of what? And when is that judgment? All those things matter. Well, here's the deal. That judgment is at the end of the tribulation period. And that judgment is weeding out, just like the text says, in the sower and the seeds, the tares and the wheat, the dragnet, the ten virgins, and now the talents, he's going to weed out those that truly aren't his. And they get thrown into the eternal fire. And those that are born again go into the millennial kingdom. That judgment that we're going to be talking about in verse 31 is right at the end of the tribulation. Therefore, 
in contextually, it is my belief and my understanding that this talent issue is specifically concerning tribulational saints. But the principle that is understood here can certainly be applied to the church age saints. Both of them. Why? Why? Because we're kingdom people. We have a king. Amen? Now, it doesn't mean that we're in the millennium wholeheartedly today. It means that, and I'm going to say it this way, and it's, it's as if the kingdom is, we experience some of the blessings of the kingdom today. We have the Holy Spirit, amen, who aids us. I, I can imagine living in the Old Testament. Whew. I praise the Lord for that. He has drawn my heart to Himself. I am blessed with gifts, and so are you, to be used to exalt Him and Him alone. So that's, that's where we're How many understand where we're at? That's the gist of all what's going on. The kingdom of heaven is like a man about to go on a journey who called his slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. It's talking about Jesus, obviously. <clears throat> the money was given to them by the master. The master leaves. He gives five talents to another, two to another, and each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Verse 15, to one he gave five, two, one. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gave five more talents. I love this guy. <laughs> this is the guy you don't even have to tell what to do. He gets to the job and he's going to the job right now, right away. Work, 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 right? Puts his nose to the grindstone, there he goes. God bless him. Absolutely blessed him. He went, he went out and sold more and got more. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who received the two talents gained two more talents. He did the same thing. He said, Well, that's not fair. Listen, that's not for you to decide what's fair and what's unfair. That's for God. It's not for, for us for, to question God. In my mind, it's not fair that God made you over five foot six. It's not fair to you. But that's humanity. God designed each of us for a purpose, for a specific task. He gave us specific talent, monies to be used to gain more, to glorify His name, to show forth. Listen, God's not here glorifying His name without you at this moment. He's using you so that others see Him. If that's true, how's that working? And that's exactly what's going on here. He received the one talent, what did He do? Well, he went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid it in the ground. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Long time. For us, it's been 
2,000 years. Roughly. 2,000 years. He settles the, so Jesus Christ comes back and He's settling account. The Master in this text comes back and what does He do? Master, you entrusted five talents to Me. Look, I've gained five more talents. His Master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put, in charge of many, I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your Master. What does that mean? Divine joy. Divine pleasure. You see, this world is seeking for pleasure everywhere it can within themselves. I will tell you, it will end in absolute failure. There's only one great divine joy and pleasure there is, and that's serving the omnipotent, awesome, holy, great, righteous God. Amen. And He plans on letting us experience that. Also, the one who received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. And I gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24 is where we pick it up this morning. The third slave, and the, the one also who had received the one talent, came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. You reaped where you did not sow, and you gathered where you scattered no seeds. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Now we touched on this last week, but we're going to get into it and finish it this evening or this morning, Lord willing. It's interesting that the slave, according to the text, is identified as belonging to the master. Do you see, do you see the importance of that? He's called a slave. Why is he called a slave? In today's Christian culture, we would say that he was identified as a Christian, but, but, number one, he did nothing with what God had given him. He was lazy. The slave does not represent an atheist. Do we understand that? He's not an atheist here. He's not an agnostic. He recognizes the Master and that he is the little legitimate owner of him. So, what are we dealing with here? I believe that we're dealing with unbelieving church members is what I believe we're dealing with. People that claim the name of Christ, but truly do not love Him, truly do not know Him. Unbelieving church members live in the environment of God's redeemed community. What is the church to be full of? Believers, right? It's to be full of believers. It's to be full of people that love and want to know God. It's, it's an environment of God's redeemed community. And we enjoy the exposure to the teaching of His Word. 
we get to know who God is. Now let me ask you, what person in here who truly loves the Lord, who truly knows the Lord, would look at the Lord and say, at the, I mean, here he, co- he comes on the Mount of Olives, he steps down, we come down there, we're with him, and you look at him and say, hey, man, you're a hard man. Who would say that to God? Let alone, who in the world would say that to him? You went and you sowed where you didn't see. Are you kidding me? This, this slave did not know his master. He might have known about the master, but he didn't know the master. Do you see the difference? So this slave was, first of all, lazy. He didn't do what, what God had given him to do. And the slave not only questioned his master, but he attacked his master. I, we're not going to go. We're not going to go to heaven and say, you know, you know, I don't. I don't get this. Why did you do that to me? I didn't deserve that. We would never do that. True. He charged the owner with being mean, unmerciful, and dishonest about his business dealings. That's what he did. Instead of judging themselves in light of God's inerrant word, such people judge God in light of their own perverted ideas of what it should be. I think one of the ways that many people do not know the Lord is the term love. Right? They love their definition of love. But if they knew God, they wouldn't be loving Him. Does that make sense? Love is not um, enabling sin. Love is not turning a blind eye to what God hates. Love is confrontation. The slave obviously had no relationship with his master. Absolutely, he could have none relationship. He did not know who he truly is. So the slave is not only lazy, but absolutely selfish in everything he does. The reality that this parable clearly teaches is that there are professing Christians who are no Christians at all. I think it's it's Jude that talks about these types of people, and John, first, second, third. John talk about these people, how that they they were they they went away from us because they weren't really part of us. Hebrews chapter six deals with the same type of people, people that have tasted they they've seen what the Holy Spirit has done in lives. They they sang the songs, they 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 praise God, but in the end, they truly weren't His. By the way. Where is the greatest, safest place in the world to be? I would say church. With, with believers. What a joy. What a great thing. We get to talk about God. We get to learn who He is even more and more. We get to hear of His great works in each of our lives. There are unsaved people within the body of Christ with that meet here in Sunday, not in the body of Christ literally, but they, they, they are pretenders that come into the church and they're in the church. How many understand that? That slave portrays an unregenerate church member who has no spiritual fruit in his life, 
No spiritual worship in his heart. He is blind to the Lord's kindness. He's blind to the grace, compassion, mercy, honor, majesty, glory. All of what his master is, he's totally oblivious to it. What are the signs of a professor amongst possessors? Look what he says about himself. He says that he was afraid of his master. But it's not the fear of reverential awe, but of contempt. You're an abusive master, is what he was saying. And I'm scared of you. He was afraid. He resented and despised the master and had no love or respect for him at all. His relationship to the master was one of enmity rather than peace. Of hatred rather than love. Of rejection rather than faith. This slave had no love for his master. If, you were, if you're here on our CE hours, you will understand this slave, his mind was clouded with depravity. He had unperspecting eyes. He didn't get it. Truly didn't get it. What's the master's response and why would you say that this guy is a possessor and not a professor? Here's the reason. Now, let's be fair. All details in a parable aren't necessarily important to the, the overall and not the point of the overall parable. How many understand that? And maybe I'm digging in too deep here. I don't know. I don't think so. But I will tell you this. This man is called the master's slave. This man portrayed evidences of being part of a group, but really not part of a group because his heart revealed what kind of a man he was. And in the end, what does God do? Well, what does the master do? This man's master answered him and said, You wicked, lazy slave. You wicked, lazy slave. What does that mean? Well, there's two things. What is the antithesis of the first slaves? God, or the master looked at him and said, You good opposite wicked you faithful opposite lazy slave those are two different types of people even though they were part of the household in the same uh, uh, household that was running a business there that slave was wicked and lazy compared to good and faithful and he didn't know God because he he didn't know the master well because he he threw him under the bus, if you will. He literally hated him because he was scared of him. He says, this master answered and said, you were a wicked and lazy slave. You, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seeds. Now, the slave meant that statement as a slap against their, his master. Did he not? Well, 
Here maybe is what the essence of what the Master is replying here. You think I am a hard man, do you? Harvesting crops that do not belong to me. I really thought that. Why? Why? If you really thought that. So in essence, he's saying this is what you think. Let me ask you, is Jesus Christ, would He ever tell anybody that He was a hard and He a bad, poor, illegitimate businessman? He'd never say that. So we have to understand that what He's saying is, this is what you thought of Me. And I believe that's what He's saying. You thought that I, I reaped where I did not sow, I gathered where I scattered no seeds. Well, if you really believe that, if you thought that, then why in the world did you not take the talent and put it at least in the bank where it could have at least drawn some interest? The fact that he does not attempt even to earn simple interest on the money confirmed his total irresponsibility and indifference to his master. How many slaves are in the church today that are simply putting in their time thinking they're okay because they said a prayer at one time? The first two servants served the Lord before His return. The third servant servant served what he thought was himself self-preservation. Even a person with limited exposure to Scripture and who possesses few talents and few opportunities for servants is obligated to use those blessings to serve God. Why? That's what we've been created for. That's what we've been commanded to do. That's what God gave us the image of God for. Amen. All those things... Clearly, humanity was created for serving God. I'm working on a large paper. I think Mrs. Graff is helping me. Right now I have 24 pages on how... Here's what the pages are. And this is so... I think I might even preach this because I've just been submerged. How many understand when you get submerged in something, you just want to get out what you've learned, right? Well, I think it's very obvious in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Number one, man was made how? How was man made? Genesis chapter 2 verse 6 or somewhere, somewhere in there. In the image of God. What does that mean, image of God? Like Him. Yes. Like Him. How are we like God? Well, it has to be internal. And we are most like God when we serve Him well. This good and faithful servant, that's imaging God. That's exactly what the Master would do. Well, I mean, he isn't going to sit there and say, well, I can get 2% if I put it in a... I'm just going to say this because I know it's not true, but I, I, it's a word in, business, in financial stuff I know. A Roth IRA. 
whatever that is. Anyways, we'll put it there because it's safe. Or I can take that same amount of money and I can go get this field and that field. I can buy those things and then we can plant crops. I can sell it. I can double it. I can make 50% more. What's the master going to do? Going to go do that, right? Use that money to make more money. Not just let it sit. That's better than this. There's a time and place for this though, yes. But the point is, do something with it that's going to make its money. That's the whole point. The master's all about doing that. This slave doesn't image the master. Instead, he goes hides it. So literally, he... Let me ask you this. If... Did that slave lose money for the master? Yeah. Why? We know today there's something called inflation. How many know what inflation is? You can't just go stick... You know, I could stick $500 in the ground... When I come back 20 years from now and pick up that $500, it will be worth five cents if the economy keeps doing what it's doing. How many understand that? He literally lost some of the money. I've I been reading things. Do you know that if you did not get a, I think it's an eight, six to eight or eight to 10% raise this year, you literally got a demotion. The, the point is, that's how economy works. That's how monies work. Literally, this man is hurting the cause of Christ instead of helping the cause of Christ. Because what is he doing? He's all about himself. Is he not? This is self-preservation. I'm going to put my... That master gave me money. I'm going to put it in a hole so he's always got it. Well, you're losing his money. You're worried about yourself. God wants you to stake a step of faith and use what God has given you to explode who God is to the world. Amen. That's what He wants you to do. And this guy did the total opposite. Instead of a light, instead of a light and a salt of the earth, he was a piece of paper in a pile of dirt. Who's going to see that? How many get the imagery here? That's exactly what's going on. Now last week we, we also brought in another chapter from Matthew chapter 25. Mr. Gaiman did this. He read it for us. Therefore take away the talent from him and give this is a diff, take away the talent from him and give it to one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one who does not have even what he does have shall be taken away. So, what happens here? Verse 28 through 30. 30 says, Throw out the worthless slave. 
into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. What happened to the third slave? Mr. Zarin just read Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Is that not synonymous with this? It is. Throw out the worthless slave. The church includes both genuine and fake Christians. Every church has tares. Their true character cannot be determined by what they do outwardly. Because unbelievers can quite, be quite active in the church and seemingly interested in the work. How many have seen people in a church that claim to be Christians and yet maybe three years into it, they come to a saving knowledge of Christ? That happens all the time. It should happen. They're in the church. They understand. They know the lingo. This especially happens with young people in churches. How many understand this? They, they're in a Christian school. They're, uh, they're in a Christian home. They hear the gospel all the time. They know the lingo. They know what to say. They know how to read it. But yet, they're truly not born again. As a youth pastor, I saw time after time after time. Let me tell you what I saw exactly. We had a lady who would take a four-year-old child and lead them in a prayer to repeat after me to say the right words and then would tell everybody, see, I led this person to the Lord. Let me ask you. Is it possible that four-year-old was led to the Lord? Absolutely. Is it possible they haven't been led to the Lord? Just because someone says a prayer, says the words, does not mean God changed their heart. And it doesn't mean that they understood what was going on or anything. I've seen many so often. They come as a little kid. They, they, they say the prayer, and then they get to be 13. They're like, I have no idea what in the world this is even about. What is going on? And then they come and say, I don't know. Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. I, 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 I know I said a prayer. It's right in my Bible. I see it. But I have no idea what in the world's going on. What is true salvation? What is being saved? What is the answer? The question is, you need to ask them, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Amen? They said, well, you know, I said a prayer. And that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking about that. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation? I don't know. So then what do you do? Here's what, here's what, here's what happens. The mom, I've had this, this, the mom came to me yelling and screaming at me. Who do you think you are to tell my child that she might not be saved? Look, I have a Bible. When she was three years old, she said the prayer. 
See that? She's saved. Who are you? I said, listen, I don't know if she's saved or not. I have no idea. I don't know her heart. But I do know right now, she does not understand and she does not know what she's talking about. She even admits, I have no idea. I don't know that I'm saved or not. So what are you going to do? I told her, you need to be saved then. You need to put your trust in Christ. And she did. What a, by the way, that young lady, oh my goodness, that young lady I stopped by at her house a year ago because I hadn't seen her in 25 years. She came flying out of the house, running up to my truck and gave me a huge hug. She said, Pastor, God's been working my life doing this and this. And she's telling me all these things that God's doing in her life. Why? There's true salvation there. Her passion, her affections are to Christ. She loves the Lord. She's serving the Lord. Unfortunately, I've been with many young people that Pastor Graf, man, we had fun, didn't we? This, that, and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Where are you going to church? Yeah, yeah, I'm just hopping around. I really can't find what I like. What are you looking for? Uh, I want the music, you know. I just, I'm tired of the old hymns, and I want this, and I want that. And what about Jesus? <laughs> what about the Lord? Here's the reality. There are many people who believe they're saved because at one time in their life, a long time ago, they can't even remember, they said a prayer. Listen, people say prayer all the time to be saved. But if you're relying on a prayer or a word or words in a prayer to make you saved and not Jesus Christ, to be saved, there's a problem. That it isn't about the prayer; it's about Jesus and who He is. Is this? Are you? Am I making sense? I can never trust the prayer like I can trust Jesus. My faith isn't in the prayer; it's in Jesus. I hope I'm helping you make sense of this. Listen. When I was a kid, I prayed and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I am so thankful. From that day on, I wanted to serve Him everywhere I could. I make many mistakes, but I know I'm a believer. But I don't have faith. My faith isn't in the words I said or the prayer. It's in Jesus Christ. I hope that you can see that distinction. This man... In this text, he is a slave, but that slave showed no evidence of salvation at all. It is not for me to judge, it's for the master to judge. And the master came back and he said, good job, good job. You dude though, you're out of here. And he sent him to hell. He sent him to hell. The third slave was not just simply unfaithful, 
The third slave was faithless. Does that make sense? He was faithless. A true Christian who wastes his abilities, spiritual gifts, and opportunities will have his work burned up. He will suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by, what's the text? Fire. There are Christians who do not use the gift as they should, but they truly are believers. They will be saved yet so as by fire. No question about that. The text bears that out. But this guy is not him. This is not what we're talking about. Because why? This man goes to hell. This slave is going to spend eternity in hell because he was a faithless, worthless slave. No matter how much he may appear to have been blessed by God and to serve Him, one day, the Bible says, that there will be people standing in front of Christ. And He will look at them and say, what? Depart from Me. I never knew You. Lord! Lord! No! Didn't I, what? Prophesy in Your name and do many works in Your name. That's not who this slave is. Or that is who that slave is. That slave is the one who looks like a slave. He was given gifts just like a slave. He worked with all the other slaves. But in the end, he was wicked and worthless. And he says to him, get out of my sight. You are none of mine. You are utterly worthless. And what happened? He was to be cast out into outer darkness in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, in context here, he was a counterfeit slave. A fake slave. Outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Obviously, everyone understands this is absolutely talking about hell. That's where this slave went. So let me to ask you, how do you know you're a real slave or not? Is everyone that in, within the church that gathers every weekend, not spiritually but physically, is every one of them a true slave of Christ? No. There are people sitting here right now that are not truly born again. They've never trusted and they, are, they still don't trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. They don't love the Lord. They love what He gives them. but they don't love Him. Some of you are sitting here right now and you truly 
are not trusting in Christ. Folks, that's a very dangerous place to be. It's more dangerous than being in the world. Because you know the lingo. You know what makes people happy and pleased if you say the right words. I'm not asking that. Who are you trusting in for your eternal life? According to Scripture, it's Christ and Christ alone. There is salvation in no other. Please, I beg of you, trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. God pleads with you. Here's the issue. Wouldn't it be something to stand before the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the omnipotent, sovereign God, and He looks at you and He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. There will be a reckoning. Next week, we'll show you the reckoning. It talks about it right in the next text. Verse 31. It's coming. I guarantee you, both saved and unsaved are going to be judged. Are you truly one of His? It's easy to go through life as a little kid in the church and just do what mommy and daddy do. Say what mommy and daddy say. That's not true religion. It's not true relationship with Christ. Are you truly born again? Have you trusted in Christ alone as your only Lord and Savior? I pray, I pray that that is true with every one of you. Because I want to sit with you and serve alongside of you and fellowship with you of what great things God has done. Amen? Unfortunately, statistics are we will not all be there because there are unbelievers within the church. God help us. There's no greater time to be honest than right now. Don't let a moment slip by. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. I've asked Pastor Flink to close in a word of prayer this morning. I've also asked him to give his testimony of how we can pray for him this week, and he will share that with us. Thank you, Pastor Graff, for this opportunity. Uh, let me pray first, and then I'll share the testimony with you as God's people, and thank you for praying for that personal request. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the clarity of the message this morning. Pray that you'd use your word to bring conviction as the Spirit of God lays it upon hearts to show the urgency of the hour. 
for those who do not know Christ as their personal Savior, that they would put their faith and trust in him. And Lord, help them to realize that today is the day of salvation. It is the accepted time to do it now because we're not assured of tomorrow. We're not to boast of tomorrow. We don't know what a day may bring forth. And so, Lord, bring that conviction of sin and righteousness and of judgment into those lives that desperately need Jesus Christ today. And I pray, Lord, for those who are believers, as we've heard the message this morning, that we would be faithful in the stewardship responsibilities that you've placed upon us. Help us, Lord, to remember not just your hand and the good things that you give to us, but to worship you and your heart because you are the giver of every good and every perfect gift. And what a wonderful God you are that we serve. May we be found faithful in serving you until you take us home. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read a verse from Psalm 16, verse 11. I think exemplifies what my dad experienced in this life and now with him being in heaven. My dad passed away, uh, his name Irving Flink, on Thursday evening, was promoted to glory, uh, short, just a few days short of being 98 years of age. And the Bible says, you will show me the path of life. He showed my dad the path of light. The way to eternal life was put by putting his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he did so at an early age. I'm thinking about 13 years of age, he did that. And he sought then from that moment on to serve the Lord and to be faithful to him. Did he live it perfectly? Obviously not, we, none of us will. But I think he was, he was faithful to the end. The Bible says also you will, uh, in your presence, excuse me, is fullness of joy. And my dad experiences that right now. His faith is now sight. He's rejoicing in the presence of his Savior, and we praise God for that. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, and that's what he has to look forward to uh, for all of eternity. And that's what all of us who know Christ have to look forward to for all of eternity. So pray for my mom, Rhoda. Uh, she is doing quite well through all of this, uh, was tested positive for COVID and, and had mild symptoms, was able to be at home. We've not been able to really be with her uh, since dad passed away because of COVID and the restrictions there. Uh, we're hoping that she'll test negative today and we'll be able to, uh, to get into the home there and to share some time together. So be, be in prayer for that as well. For, and also for opportunities for Nan and myself to, to share uh, God's goodness and God's grace to my siblings, my brothers and sisters, of course, uh, have all been contacted, and we're looking forward to a memorial service sometime in the summer uh, to remember my dad at that point in time. But pray for opportunities to be spiritually challenging and spiritually comforting to my siblings at this time. And uh, I know that you'll do that. Uh, we thank God for prayers of God's people who will take that prayer request and keep, keep that before them in prayer. Thank you, Brother Graf, for that. We appreciate it so much. God bless you.